Hi everyone, welcome to Financial Planning Conversations, the podcast about giving great financial advice that matches investments with clients. I'm your host, Craig Saunders, and soon I'll be joined by Paul Resnick from Finometrica to talk about a workshop that he's hosting in London on the 1st of November 2017. This podcast, of course, is sponsored by Finometrica, part of Plan Plus. Now, the upcoming London workshop is about investment suitability, which is a big topic. It covers regulations like MIFID II at one end, through to the competitive malaise of a wealth management sector where growth in assets under management has pretty much stopped, and of course, the rise of automated advice to send all us humans to the scrap heap. Today, Paul's going to preview some of those issues with us, and if you're listening at a time and place that allows you to be in London on the 1st of November, you're welcome to join Paul and the other presenters for this workshop. It's a three-hour event kicking off at 9am at the Radisson Blue Edwardian Hampshire Hotel. That's in Leicester Square. To get a free ticket, just Google this phrase. Get ready to write it down. Google what's happening with suitability out there. The first result you see should be the eventbrite.co.uk listing for Paul's workshop. You can also go to eventbrite.co.uk with bright spelt B-R-I-T-E. So that's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot co.uk and use the boxes there to search for the name Resnick or the term suitability in London. Now let's say hello to Paul Resnick, currently in training for that London presentation. Paul, welcome back. G'day, Craig. Who should be coming to see you at this London workshop? Anybody that's interested in the future of suitability in their business. Um, clearly, we've got a revolution continuing in financial services. It's essentially the move from product to client, um, supported by technology and encouraged by regulation. There's no future in the past. You've actually got to be uh, looking at how all of the pieces fit together and being sure that you, your business, your career are aligned. So anybody in the financial services supply chain should be sitting and talking with us at the conference in uh, the workshop in London. And what are they going to walk away with it? Are they going to walk out with answers or a better understanding of the questions that they're facing? Perhaps um, neither of those. A better understanding of the right questions to ask would be uh, would be my uh, my summary. When we look at our um, at our good client relationships. Um, that they tend to come from two characteristics. Um, one, it's clients or prospects who are who are able to articulate the right question. Um, often, the, the, the challenge is that um, our, our prospects don't understand what the issue is. That they that they mistake um, outcomes and don't understand um, what the causes are and the way things are going. So the first thing that, that they, they will come away with perhaps is a better uh, better articulation of the problem. And, and secondly, um, an anxiety to, uh, to get it resolved because if it's not resolved, the business will lose its way in this ultra-competitive world we're, uh, we're about to enter, um, driven essentially by technology. Um, financial services has been a technology backwater for the last 30 years and the various forms of automating advice and integration into product suites are now accelerating. Unless you're positioned somewhere along that superhighway and understand where it's going and want to do that quickly, you're going to be in trouble. 
Your title is What's Happening with Suitability. So let's begin with a common understanding of that term. What are you talking about when you say investment suitability? Um, Suitability at its simplest level is the matching of product to the needs of clients. So a suitable investment is one that meets the client's needs. And uh, this, of course, is an area where very little attention has been paid um, for the last 40 or 50 years. Um, All of a sudden, all of the world's regulators are saying suitability is an important issue. You need to take into account clients' financial needs, both financial and psychological. And of course, once again, the challenge is that nobody very clearly articulates what does that mean. So we've got lots of people going through paying lip service to uh, to that suitability. And the clearest examples you see in global robo-advisors where you can have as little as one question and then a portfolio recommendation. Um, the, the challenge with that is it's neither suitable for people's psychological needs or financial needs. It actually meets the needs of the financial institution promoting the product. That's no longer a sustainable position. So when we analyse those new regulations that are coming out and when we look around the world and see financial advice scandals in a number of different countries, are we just seeing suitability gone wrong? We've seen, yes, failed suitability. Uh, that we, 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 We've spent combined Plan Plus and Finometrica our lives in financial services. Um, In my case, almost 50 years of work. And when I look back, it's about expectation management and its failure as being the primary issue. And suitability is the contemporary term for that. It's people's expectations not not matched, not satisfied, not talked through. And you can see in the suitability rules, transparency, disclosure of conflicts of interest, explanation of volatility, the move to informed consent, the transfer of responsibility, if you will, to decision-making from the enterprise and advisor to the client accepting responsibility for any trade-offs in their lives is that fundamental change. Suitability is the, uh, the new word for that. And um, it is the consequences of past failure, past confidence. And at its simplest level, it it comes down to be trusted. You have to behave in a trustworthy manner. And that, uh, that encapsulates the challenge for large enterprises. And that comes back, doesn't it, to um, I'm going to sell you something that you need rather than what I have in my kit bag to sell today, which is a, a shift for the industry because for many, many years what they had to sell was what they had to sell. That, that's precisely right. And you can see it in the articulation that comes out from regulators. There will be clients, you'll see in the case studies that the regulators put up, where the best advice you can give the client is to discharge debt, take out insurances not take the investment. And they're looking for, uh, for, for solutions in the automated space that picks up on the anomalies. That's the shorthand for make sure it's personal advice, not generic and not product. That's actually a really good ad- example that you raised there. 
I would have advised hundreds of casual acquaintances over the years, pay down your debt, don't invest. But you, you would seldom hear that from a lot of financial advisors. Well, we don't know, of course, because this is the bit that's not recorded. Um, this is the bit that's not paid for because fees traditionally come as a proportion of funds under advice. And so those people that needed that advice probably were given it without any formal pieces of paper um, and said, come back when you've brought the debt down to a more sensible level. So I think there's lots of good common sense in financial services, but much of it isn't recorded or managed well. It goes to the conflict, of course, of the vertically integrated business, where uh, where reward and remuneration is tied to uh, to the enterprise's product suite, um, and even that's beginning to devolve as we uh, as we will discuss shortly. So it's a great challenge. I think there's lots of common sense, but it doesn't necessarily get reported well. Now, let's talk about an example because we have a, a beauty here. It's the Commonwealth Bank in Australia. It is still Australia's largest bank. At one point recently, it was worth close to $100 billion, but not anymore. It's lost around 30% of its value or 25%. It's lost its highly paid chief executive. It's lost its chairman. It's lost a few directors. And it's lost a lot of public confidence. And all this traces in a great big black heavy line straight back to breaches of trust, rotten suitability processes, and some truly shameful outcomes, Paul? It would seem so. Um, the, the, the CBA was the People's Bank. It was owned by the, uh, by the government of Australia for a long time. It was floated 30-odd years ago. And um, as has often happens, um, the, the history seems to have been forgotten. And you can find a pathway over the last 10 years where the bank continually um, missed the, uh, the key signs of its failure to, 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 to uh, maintain trust by taking shortcut solutions to the degree that we see at the moment that uh, it looks like it's going to diminish its its investment in, in wealth management, it's, um, it's sold off its life insurance business, it's talking about um, selling off its um, wealth management business, which was a truly enormous business and a global business at that. Been unable to engage Australian investors. Um, many of our listeners won't be aware of the alienation retirees have with uh, professionally managed funds. Australia has the largest component of direct investments of ordinary men in the street of any country in which we work, which is a direct response to the lack of trust. So we see now that the vertically integrated businesses that are Australian banks, and they were truly very impressive in, uh, in name, if not in numbers, over the last um, 10 years, starting to dissolve because they've lost the trust of the Australian investor. CBA is at the very forefront of that, and as you described it, it's an organisation that uh, will spend several years trying to reposition itself as a bank that people can trust. The rot for the Commonwealth began to be revealed when an Australian advice firm called Storm collapsed. Its business model was to gear pretty unsavvy investors so high that their eyes bled and then they'd buy assets, but 
then the market's corrected. Now, the Commonwealth Bank was funding a lot of those purchases. Take up the story for me for what, what happened from there. There was a Senate inquiry into the, the behaviour. It was fairly clear from a from an outsider's perspective that, that Storm, which was based in North Queensland, was very heavily engaged with products by both assets and liabilities and people from the Commonwealth Bank. When the Senate inquiry came down the report, it basically exonerated CBA's senior management from any responsibility and said the blame laid with professional advisors or the lack of professionalism when we had um, some of the world's most absurd regulation around advice, which drove more and more advisors to work within the very enterprises that had caused the problem in the first place. So um, if anybody out there has any view that Australia has a particularly fine um, regulatory system, it, it's um, it's not supported by, uh, by what's happened in the uh, retirement investment space and the way the storm inquiry uh, found its conclusions and enforced um, new regulation into financial advice. And we're almost 10 years on from, from all of that now. And even today, Australian consumers have some of the weakest protections in the English-speaking world. If you're sitting in the US or the UK and you want to run a shonky financial advice business, come on down to Australia because we won't stop you. Well, we're starting to see a number of uh, international businesses coming into financial planning. Um, um, I have to say, um, I, I'm from a personal level, I, I'm constantly depressed by, by, by the standard of regulation it's, uh, uh, and its intent. Um, what we have is a series of vertically integrated silos. Um, the attempt to be an independent and provide autonomous advice um, away from being um, a product house seems to have failed. And what we're now seeing is... Uh, after the enterprises struggling with their vertically integrated businesses, um, many of the planning businesses are following the same pattern, introducing IMAs, SMAs, um, separately managed accounts, individually managed accounts to, to, to manage clients' direct equities. So, um, yeah, Australia needs to have a good look at itself in terms of regulation. Now, folks, we'll just pause for a reminder. If you want to join Paul on the 1st of November in London for all these discussions, all you have to do is Google this phrase, what's happening with suitability out there? The first result you see should be the eventbrite.co.uk listing for that workshop. And you can also go to eventbrite.co.uk with bright spelt B-R-I-T-E. So that's eventbrite.co.uk and use the boxes there to search for Resnick or suitability in London. Now, Paul, you mentioned earlier that you're going to be talking about automation, robo-advice. Is the story still that the robos are coming, the robos are coming, or are we later on into the book now into a different chapter? Um, the robos are coming, but they're not coming on uh, on donkeys. Uh, the, the, the donkeys um, look like they're uh, they haven't been appropriately fed, and they're going to wither away. And by that, I mean the independent robos, that those that, that have arrived in the marketplace with a flash of technology, but without a, a natural client base. What we are seeing is the enterprise automation of advice with the integration into existing product suites, inter integration with existing knowledge bases of clients. And at the forefront of that, you can see um, perhaps the best exemplar is BlackRock, which is uh, 
essentially a technology company pretending to be an investment house, um, looking to build relationships with large enterprises to promote its uh, its investment suite. Um, that they're, they're very visibly and noisily um, acquiring and growing their technology platforms. Um, <coughs> meanwhile, Vanguard, Schwab, and several of the other large investment managers are building the same or trying to build similar levels of automation. You could say that these are sort of the new soft commission relationships that uh, in several countries have been uh, have been attempted to be stopped. But, but the trend is very clear. It's going to be enterprise robos, if we continue to use that word, where servicing of clients will be increasingly automated to the degree that uh, when we talk with some of um, the large organisations that they're saying they do not want any human intervention at all. It'll be AI, artificial intelligence, plus, uh, plus the technology, um, which they hope will process the vast majority of their, uh, their clients' financial needs, not just investment, but insurance. Um, and general banking um, within five years. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't trust Siri on my iPhone because Siri I find to be rather unreliable and she doesn't always understand me. How on earth do you build trust mechanisms into robo-advice? It's one thing to have an advisor who sort of sits across from you and, and can do human things to create a trust bond, but how do you do it electronically? You just keep working at it until it, uh, until it emerges. The... the, the, the um... The reward is substantial, and um, we're just at the at the very beginning of uh, of that journey. Um, some people will find it satisfactory to uh, to be working with a brand they trust, it'd be a bank or a life insurance company or a pension fund, and accept that um, the recommendations that come out are, are meaningful. Others won't. And of course, the cynicism that uh, you express will will, will, will still be uh, quite consistent. The best argument we can put is that to to be trusted, you behave in a trustworthy manner. You make sure that your automated processes are as transparent as you can make them. That you you appeal to everybody's different learning styles. You give people the opportunity to uh, to review the recommendations. You encourage people to look at goals-based planning rather than to look for absolute alpha because you can then report people to people back against their goal achievement. Um, it'll never be 100%, but it'll be a downside better than where we are at the moment. At, at its core, aren't we really talking about virtually a fiduciary standard of, hey, look, I'm not doing what what's going to be good for me. Here's something that I think is going to be good for you. I think that's a very good summary of it. This is not an externally enforced fiduciary standard. It's an, it is an internally generated to maximise financial outcomes. Who wouldn't want to have as many clients as possible um, satisfied with the service cross-selling opportunities and upselling opportunities become automatic when people trust what you do. So it, the competitive advantage is to actually be at the forefront. Um, often over the last 20 years, 
people have said, what do you do? How do you fit against the regulatory standard? And I go, well, the regulatory standard is so low. Why would you want to target it? What's the what's the competitive advantage of uh, of reaching the minimum that the regulator can articulate and force through the, uh, the 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 legal and political system? Why do you not want to be the best you possibly can be? Because there's your competitive advantage. I think the fiduciary standard will do that. As we're seeing in the U.S., it's now a political football. The smart people will simply say the goal is to have satisfied clients. The best way of doing that is to behave in a trustworthy manner. The fiduciary outcome is a uh, is a consequence of that behaviour. And people like Michael Kitsis in the US have said a number of times that the fiduciary has got him by stealth. It's going to happen regardless of what the regulators do because it's so hard for an advisor to sit across from somebody, look them in the eye and say, I do not act in your interests. I think that's a good summary. Um, it's it's such an easy way to uh, to be sitting at the same side of the table as across to across the table. Um, that's the whole whole basis of fiduciary. You represent your client. You sit on the same side of the table, and everybody else is a competitor. Is looking to take dis- to take advantage of you and your client. Your goal as an advisor is to guide people through that forest. And Paul, these are the issues that you're going to be picking up in that three-hour workshop with a refreshment at the end, of course? Of course, and at the beginning. And a cup of coffee in the middle. (laughs) Magic. Thanks for being with us today, Paul. My pleasure, Craig. And folks, that wraps us up for today. Thanks for being with us. And do join Paul in London on the 1st of November if you can. Once again, Google what's happening with suitability out there or go to eventbrite.co.uk. I'm Craig Saunders. Bye for now. (laughs) 